Well, good to be with you all again. Hope you're doing well. Uh, beautiful day, isn't it? Boy, I love to drive here. Beautiful countryside around here. Fantastic. Uh, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 1.3. I'm getting older, you know, but uh, it could be worse. could be worse. I'm standing here. Uh, it reminds me of a man who went to the pet shop and bought a parrot, of all things. He wanted to buy a parrot. So he brought him home, and the parrots start talking bad, just hateful and nasty things. And so the man just, uh, just couldn't put up with it anymore. So he grabbed the parrot and opened the freezer and put him in the freezer. Slammed the door, and there was a squawking and all this going on. And all pretty soon the, uh, the squawking stopped, and the man opened the freezer door and and the parrot said, I want to apologize. I'm sorry for all the things I said. And, and it won't happen again. But can I, just have, can I just ask one question, please? And uh, the man said, yes. He said, what did the chicken do wrong? The living hope, four observations on the living hope. It's called the living hope in First Peter 1.3. Let me read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, uh, caused us to be born again. You know, he, he gave us into this world, and then there's a, a new birth again unto a living, a living, it should be living hope by the resurrection or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this we greatly rejoice now for a season, if need be. You are in heaviness through manifold, manifold, manifold trials. That's the thing that goes through First Peter, suffering and trials uh, through this uh, diaspora, this scattering of people who knew Christ. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried, again, with fire, it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, that's amazing, ye love, and whom though you, now you see him not, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your, of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So what is hope? You know, the world is really uh, in a hopeless, from a world perspective, from an unregenerate perspective, unbiblical perspective, it looks mighty hopeless, you know, uh, to a lot of folks, uh, even our country. Uh, you could almost say, well, it looks uh, kind of hopeless, you know. And there are a lot of people who, who, who are, in their mind, hopeless. Uh, the Greeks, early Greeks like Plato and Thucydides, put an evil spin on hope. To them, it was uh, some foreboding event, something evil coming down the road, something uh, terrible that's going to happen. And so that was a kind of a Greek uh, outlook 
in our culture, it, it can almost be something like love. You know, we, we hope it will be a, a good weather tomorrow. I hope when we have the picnic, it's uncertain. A lot of times it's uncertain when we say it. We just don't know. We hope so. It has that uncertain spin on it all the time, uh, a lot, probably the majority of the times. And in the Bible, it's used in different senses, a lot of senses, like um, a hope uh, that's uh, not sure. That's all also in, in, the, in the Scripture, and I've quoted some of those Scriptures. Also, something that's uh, based on feeling, you know, but also something based on fact, an event or a person in the future that's a done deal. It's going to happen. And so we're going to look at that in, in uh, 1 Peter 3. I want to look at uh, the source, first of all. And I really uh, like uh, what Peter says here, blessed or uh, to be praised. It's a doxology. He starts off with a doxology. Blessed, to be praised to, the, to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, always praise him. You know, I think of, uh, of Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. It should, always, it should never be a time in our life, and this is easy to say. I know, I know. It's easy to stand up here and say this. Never be a time in a believer's life where we cannot praise God cannot say a good word about him, cannot rejoice. And I'm not talking about rejoicing about the bad things that come our way, like stage four cancer or an accident that leaves us paralyzed or some tragedy that somebody takes our loved one or some awful thing that happens to us. I'm not saying we rejoice in that, but it should never make us angry toward God. It should never turn, change our view about him and his goodness. In all, uh, and these were people scattered, uh, called pilgrims, called uh, uh, temporary dwellers or sojourners, those who temporarily were going through life like tent dwellers. And, and, and they were facing trials, as, as Peter outlines in, in 1 Peter. But always rejoice, always bless him. Uh, this is not a human source of our hope here. This is a sovereign God who's in control of all things. He's our Heavenly Father, that means he cares for us. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, no matter what circumstance I find myself in, I'm going to trust him. He's the Father of lights in whom there's no, with whom there's no turning, James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So, Whatever situation you're in, and I'm, I'm 77, and I've been through some situations, and I haven't always had a great attitude, to tell you the truth, about the situations. But I do know what is right, and I do know that never, never should we not love our God, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. And sometimes even, un see, sometimes even believers go right to the source and say, God, why? You know, questioning him. Why did you do this? He's sovereign. He loves you more than anybody on this planet can possibly love you. He cares for you more than anybody on this planet can possibly care for you, even a mother's love or a father. God cares more. And we should never mistrust that. Always blessed in our eyes. Always precious in our eyes. 
always good in our eyes. Rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstance necessarily, not in the thing that happened to you that was bad, but in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says, Philippians 4, always, 4, 4, always. Always rejoice in him. Always find something to say, well, that's, <laughs> that's my God, and he's, he's always good, and he's always right. I guess we do question but don't question him. Then, then there's, the, there's the, kind, the kind of our hope. There is temporal hope. I, I, I divide it that way, and I know there are a lot of categories in the Bible on this hope. You can look up a lot of verses in a lot of different categories. But I, I, can, I, can, I, I say that, you know, it's feeling. A lot of them are feeling, and, and a lot of them are based on fact. But feeling and fact sometimes go together. But I divided them in, into, into this, temporal hope and eternal hope. Temporal hope. And, and remember this, uh, everybody. No matter <clears throat> how hopeful you are, um, all, all temporal hope uh, goes away. Ends. It ends. I, I, when I married Alice 56 years ago, I pledged all of my life as long as I lived. We've had 60, 56 years of, of wonderful marriage. And I don't, don't take it wrong when I say this, but it's not going to last. Our marriage isn't going to last. There's no marriage in heaven. You can have all the bright hopes you want. That won't last. Temporal hope ends. It always ends. Sometimes there's good temporal hope that is it's fulfilled. You hope it works out, and it does. And sometimes you hope for something, and it doesn't work out. That's bad. But no matter what kind of hope you have, it ends. Temporal hope ends. It stops. It is no more. And then there's eternal hope. And if you do not put your trust in him, without God, without hope, Ephesians 2.12. If you're without God, you're without hope. That's really hopeless. There's no answer to that. And we, we you know, like Paul was consoling the believers at Thessalonica and First Thessalonians uh, 4, 13 through 18, about the rapture of the church. And we, don't, we sorrow, yes we do, but not like those who have no hope. Can you, can you imagine leaving, losing a loved one and, and not having an answer in Christ? No answer? That's hopeless. That's eternal hopelessness not fulfilled and that can only be remedied by supernatural answer supernatural I know supernaturalism is uh, <laughs> is uh, rejected in our society anything supernatural you know that's the undertow of liberalism critical liberalism in the Bible it can't happen you know creation can't happen in six days six literal days and they have all these theories you know, the, the flood couldn't happen universal flood couldn't so all this undertow no matter how you explain it and try to explain it away the, the, under, the, the, under, the, the underpinning of that 
the basis of that is anti-supernaturalism. It can't happen. Imagine having that view. So the answer is a supernatural answer. This is a, a living hope. Living. Christ is alive. The resurrection. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's really based on a living Savior. Our hope is based on a living Savior. That's why it's living. I'm not trusting in church membership. I'm not trusting in something dead. I'm trusting in a living person who can do what he has promised he's going to do. It's like to Israel. You know, when Moses was in the wilderness in the burning bush, the bush that would not be consumed, who are you? Who should I say send me? I am Yahweh, Yahweh. I am, I exist to do what I said I'm going to do. I exist to do to Israel, to, to Egypt, what I said I'm going to do. I'm alive, Moses. I'm not like the false gods of Egypt. I'm alive. And Christ is alive. It's a living hope. I've been born again. I have life in me. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son doesn't have life. I've been it's a supernatural event. I was, and you know this, I see, keep saying every time I come over here, I was seven years old, 1953, I was born again. That life came into me, and it evidences itself throughout my life, like your life. That's God's imparting that life to you. It's a living hope in all those ways. You're alive, your, your, your Savior is alive, and it's to fulfill the hope. The certainty of it. That's the kind of hope that you would, no, no human apart from God can provide this hope to you. If he does or she provides this hope or some formula you try to live by, try to provide a hope, it's temporary. Even if, if it turns out to be good for a while, it's temporary. It's going to end, just like your marriage, just like good things will end. But not this hope. Not this hope. This is a living Hope that God has promised. That's the kind of hope. It's supernatural. It's all-powerful. It endures. It never fades. Never fades. It doesn't end. You know, uh, uh, we go over to Salem sometimes. There's a beautiful cemetery out there. God's little acre out there. And it's uh, with, with, with uh, you know, you can kind of trace the growth of, more of a liberal theology by even the epitaphs on the stones, you know, scripture and then poems and nice little things, but those things fade away. Even scripture passages fade away on those stones. But I have a name written in the Lamb's Book of Life in indelible ink because I have everlasting life. That's the kind of hope I have. It's, it's supernatural. And it cannot be done away with you know it's not a false hope anybody can give you a false hope like the, like the guy who was who was a, a veterinarian and a taxidermist and he said no matter what happens you'll get your dog back <laughs> even if the best thing happens it's going to end but our hope lasts forever, doesn't it? Eternal hope. And the recipients. 
being born again, being born, you know, I was born in this world, and, and like I said, 1946, uh, I didn't want to enter the world. I, my mother told me I was a 10 and a half pound baby. I was fine just right where I was. <laughs> and I wanted to come into the world. But I, that was, God knew where I was in my mother's womb, you know. Psalm 139 knew all about me, and I was written in his book of the living. But now I was born again, begotten us again. That's the kind of people that this hope uh, belongs to. This kind of hope belongs to this kind of people, your kind of people. It's, uh, it, it's, it's those described, and I, I said in, in the PowerPoint, as strangers, uh, 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 aliens, strangers, and pilgrims. We are we are sojourners. We, we travel through, but it's temporary. I don't, we bought a pop-up, uh, kind of a compromise. Alice loves to stay in tents. I, I don't like tents. And the older I get, the harder it is for me to get up off the ground 3 o'clock in the morning, go to the restroom and go through the jungle, you know, and have a dim flashlight, you know, and, and make it to the bathhouse. Just like, this is crazy. So we got a pop-up, a little bit better. Not much better, you know. We can take it along and get in this. This is a home away from home. It's not really. I'd rather be home, <laughs> you know. But that's not home. I go home. I go home, uh, Hickory Tree Road, and that's not home. I'm still a stranger here. And you know, there's tension that's going on in this world. Don't you feel it? I mean, it's like it's, uh, it's, it's, it, evil is just personified more. I mean, you can just see it. You can just hear it more as we... As, as evil intensifies, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a, it, it doesn't fit with me. I, I don't enjoy it. I don't, and it's, not, it's not dress. It's not hairstyle. It's philosophy. It's thinking. It's your conclusions. It's how you live your life. I, I'm in a strange place. And more and more, I'm in a minority. I'm being hated more and more. And I, I know I live in America, but more and more it's becoming, you know, and, and, and this was a time when Peter wrote, actually, Nero had not come down heavy. Uh, uh, it was growing. There was animosity. Ostrac they were ostracized. The citizens were being ostracized, these believers, uh, socially. Uh, the local authorities would, would persecute them, take them to jail and so forth. But it, the, the real hammer came down, you know, after Peter was, uh, this was about 65, AD 60, 65, after Peter was uh, crucified, tradition says, upside down. And the hammer in Nero, it really came down heavy, and, and Christians were persecuted openly, just pell-mell. But the beginning, it was already here. They were suffering, suffering as you, the word or, or affiliate or words like it, or uh, uh, words or different forms, uh, seven times in, in the book of First Peter, suffering, suffering, suffering. I don't know what that's like to suffer for Christ, and, and you probably don't either. I, you know, you can suffer. You can have <clears throat> cancer. You can have diseases. You can have all kinds of diseases. You can have all kinds of heartaches that happen to you that happens to the unbeliever, both unbeliever and believer, and you can call them trials, but that's not really the trial he's talking about. He's talking about something you undergo because you are a Christian. And that's happening more and more in different countries, isn't it? And it could happen. You know it could happen here. I mean, the, the backdrop is being set. Come on, you know. 
curtains coming down. And we're not promised, we've never been promised American type of ease in the Bible. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I'm not longing for it. I don't like it. I enjoy the comfort, but materialism has its byproduct, namely being comfortable in it and, and maybe not as on fire as we should for Christ. Maybe asleep. Maybe not on cutting edge for him like we ought to be because we're comfortable. We're very comfortable. Leave me alone. These folks were going through trials. Trial, real trials. Losing their jobs. Being taken away from their family. But it was only the beginning. And we can see the beginning even in our present culture. Strangers, more and more strangers, more and more realize that you were just, your house, I don't care how big it is. We saw some beautiful homes coming in here, beautiful plantation-like homes. But that's a tent. It's a tent. It's a fancy tent. You're not going to take it with you? You're a pilgrim. You're just a sojourner. That's an old English word in the, in the scripture. Sojourner. So that's the kind of person, that, that the recipient of this hope. And believers are those that can be sustained. If I look back at these folks, uh, and I'm not going through the same things they did. I'm not going through the torture. I, I'm not going to be probably not crucified upside down like Peter. But I can look back and see their strength while they were going through it. I can see what they were asked to do to rejoice. And this word, there's a little phrase that goes all the way through this, <clears throat> used seven times in the book of 1 Peter. Suffering is used, I, I correct myself, suffering is used 14 times. Uh, doing right is used seven times. Doing right is, is doing well in the King James, but it's doing right seven times. No matter what, in political situations, even in this tar time, there was no uh, Republican uh, there. There was no conservative president there. It was... Uh, a man against the Christians, do right, be a good citizen. Among the Gentiles, when they're doing terrible things, do right, suffer rightfully for it. Don't suffer wrong, don't, don't be a lawbreaker, don't, don't suffer wrong for it. Suffer right, in other words, be righteous. Women <clears throat> married to unsaved, First Peter 3, married to unsaved husbands. Unsaved husbands. Don't fuss at them. Might be one without a word, but let them look at your chaste and, and pure life. Let them see you. And let that convict them that they can be one, it says, without a word. That's, that's a lot. Do right, women. Do right when it's hard. Do right, do right. So I read what these folks were going under, and Peter said, do right no matter what. Do right. In every situation, you're not hopeless. And let me tell you something else. Riches will fail. Politicians will fail you. Even temporal hope fulfilled will fail you. Remember, temporal hope fulfilled will fail you but not this hope this is enduring remember this is a hope that you as a born-again person that kind of hope you have that kind of hope it's a living hope you will never I'm gonna say this be hopeless 
<laughs> never again. Nobody can ever say that about your life. You will never be hopeless again. I hope you know him. It says, Paul says, Jesus, our hope. In verse 23, chapter 1, our hope is in God. And that's where it lies. That means you'll never be hopeless. Now, things will look bad. Nobody promised you a rose garden here, right? Nobody promised you riches or the bills will be paid or that you'll be healthy, necessarily. But he's promised that you won't be hopeless. There's always this hope. And that's where we get to, the, that's where we get to this one. It's the last one. What's the realization? Fulfillment of our hope. It's, you know, the Bible says in the last time, revealed in the last time. It says in verse 7, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. It's an event. It's a certain event. It's a definite event. It's going to happen. Titus called it, a ble- called it the rapture of the church, the blessed hope. It's going to happen. It's an event in the future that's going to happen. It affects our feelings now. It affects how we feel. It, it, it affects whether we're hopeful or not. But it's more than just I hope. It's, it's not I hope it's going to be a good day tomorrow. It's I hope, I hope I'm alive when Jesus comes. That kind of hope. Because he's coming. It's kind of a 2 Corinthians 5 thing. I don't want to be this, I don't want to be disembodied, Paul has said, but I want to be in the body when he comes. And he wasn't. But he hoped that I want, I want to be in the body when he comes. But I know he's coming. You know, it's not like I hope it's sunny tomorrow. It's going to be sunny tomorrow. I hope I'm not in despair today waiting for it. I hope I don't lose confidence waiting for it. I don't, I don't want to become hopeless waiting for this certain thing. Jesus is coming again. And so I want to have the hope in that. It's, a, it's an event. It, you know, it's an event. I believe. Now, I'm, I'm a pre-tribulational. That's what they say theologically. Pre-trib guy. I believe that God's coming. And I'm going to be caught up in the air. Before the great tribulation, it's a church truth. It's a mystery, not, not given to Old Testament. It's, it's the New Testament. It's not revealed in the Old Testament. And I'm, I'm, you, you, you all know this. And I'll, I'll be caught up with Christ, either translated or resurrected. I want to be translated. But I might be resurrected. And that's, that's the blessed hope. That's the mystery that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, 15. 51 through 58, and he describes it again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And that's an event, but you know what? And, and the Holy Spirit is working on me and working on you. It's not the event. It's the person. What Paul emphasizes in 1 Thessalonians is we'll be together with Christ. That's the emphasis. It's not the event. It's the person that's coming. And we should be so in love with that. The Holy Spirit should be so cultivating us that we love and are loving the fact that I'm going to see him. And this is, this is a supernatural edge that the Holy Spirit has given to, to us. Listen, having not seen, you love. What? I've seen my daddy. I've seen my mother. I love them. They're with Christ. 
I love my daughter, Gina. She's with Christ. I love my daughter who's here, Angie and Paul, but I've seen all of them, and I love them. I love my grandpa. I've seen them all and interacted and everything, but I'm supposed to love someone I've never seen? That's the supernatural edge. Whom you love, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice. Here's the amazing thing. This is what God has asked you to do. Love Jesus more than your dearest on earth. You doubt it? Love him more than your father, your mother, your daughters, your sons. Love me more. That's the supernatural edge. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. I'm going to see all my loved ones who've trusted Christ because of him. Because of what he did for me. Because of the cleansing work of his blood. Taking away my sin penalty. Forgiving me of all my sins. I'm that kind of a person. I'm supposed to be that kind of a person. I'm supposed to belong to the same family these guys belong to. I'm supposed to be that no matter, even if bad times, I'm not supposed to gripe. I might, but I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to do right. Even this country might go down the tubes. It's not the country that saves me. I love America. My dad was in World War II, but this country doesn't save me. A politician doesn't save me. Jesus saves me. Savior of the world. So I'm not putting my trust in America. Don't take me wrong but in Jesus. So stay steadfast. That fulfillment is the person of Jesus Christ. Is the person of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be like that crew. There was an event years ago, the USS 4S class submarine, U.S. Navy, was rammed by a Coast Guard destroyer and quickly sank. The entire crew was trapped in its prison of death. Other ships rushed to the scene of the disaster off the coast of Massachusetts. We don't know what took place down in the sunken submarine, but we can be sure that the men clung bravely to life as the oxygen slowly gave out. A driver placed his helmeted ear on the side of the sub and listened. He heard a tapping noise. Someone tapping. And he learned that the dots and the dashes were the Morse code. The question came slowly, namely, is there any hope? Is there any hope? The accident happened in 1927. There were no survivors. And the ship was raised and restored to service in 1936. I don't know if any crew members knew Christ. But if they didn't know Christ, there was no hope, no promise. And what made a difference in that boat, that submarine, whether they knew Christ or not, whether they were Christians or not, whether they possessed the life promised by our Lord or not. And one day uh, at a Bible conference at Northfield, Massachusetts, and they had these Bible conferences uh, all over the place. A lot of those places were uh, uh, like uh, 
breeding grounds for a, a, a dispensational uh, premillennial theology that propagated through a lot of Bible conferences throughout our country. Miss Fanny Crosby at one of these uh, one of these conferences was asked by Dwight Moody to give a personal testimony concerning her faith and Christian experience. At the first she hesitated, this story says, then quietly arose and said, there is a, one hymn I have uh, written but has never been published. I call it my soul's poem. Sometimes when I'm touched and I repeat it to myself because it, it brings comfort to my heart. So then recited, she then recited it while many wept. Someday the silver cord will break, and I as now no more shall sing. But all oh, the joy when I shall awake within the palace of the king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace. I think she went to be with the Lord in, uh, at the age of 93. And I don't, she had a, a, a blindness caused by a, a misapplication of medicine or something early. So I don't think she would know any face, but the first face she would know would be the face of her Lord. And we'll see him face to face. So let me leave you with this, everybody. You know, you're not hopeless. This world's not your home. You're just passing through. You're not home yet. So you can expect, uh, you know, all the terrible things that go on in the camping trip and worse on here on this trip. But when you get home, then you can, then you can rest in the arms of your Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the blessed hope about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him. We're not hopeless. We know that. Our hope is in you. Something concrete, historical is going to happen in the future or an event, a real event. And no matter how the world looks, Father, and no matter how we treat it, we have confidence not in ourselves, not in anybody else, but in you and your Son and all the promises we have in your blessed book. I'm preaching today from the book, Father, and your promises. And you will never renege. I have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away like so much in this life. Thank you for these people. If there's anybody here who doesn't know your son, The only life buoy here, the only, only one that can save, the only one. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them to you by your Spirit. Convict them of their sin. We ask that you draw them to you, that they'd believe that Christ died for them on the cross, was buried and rose on the third day, and believe with all their heart and cling to that and know that they're not hopeless anymore. In Jesus' name.